my first guest for the new year of My Friends Are Fresh is Gordon G. O'Neill. He's the host of the popular podcast Digital Artcast, which features and showcases some of the best illustrators, concept artists, and character designers out there in movies and video games. And um, I've always enjoyed the podcast because some of the coolest artists that I've always looked up to and seen, he's like spoke with them and had a good conversations with them. Also, he's a 3D artist who made the pivot from a regular job, quote unquote, into a creative job. And he speaks on that journey as well, which I thought was really, really awesome because it's really inspiring because it takes a lot to, you know, kind of shirk away from what you were doing from before and then go into the creative field and finally find some success. You know, it took a little bit, but I'm glad that he actually did it. And um, he kind of shares that journey with us as well. I ended up meeting him at uh, Lightbox, which is a concept artist kind of like con where a lot of the artists kind of come together. We kind of mingle and, you know, there's panels and there's workshops. There's also an amazing artist alley. And so it was really, really cool to kind of like meet with him, meet in the minds in terms of music and art, and then really just kind of, um, you know, uh, talk some good shop. He also invited me onto his podcast to host a panel um, around the Black Lives Matter um, protest at the time. And it was myself and a few other um, concept artists and character designers and one studio owner that we had a great conversation about just being black in the creative space and being an artist. So without further ado, my friends are fresh featuring Gordon G. O'Neill. Gordon O'Neill, welcome to the pad. Welcome to the pod. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an honor. It's been a while in the works, but like, uh, yeah, I'm finally here. So I know, yeah. man. Thanks, dude. Uh, so we're talking Gordon Neal, aka Geo, henceforth name as Geo going forward. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, we so we met really randomly. Um, my good friend Della Longfish went to school with him. Amazing artist. He was at the first Lightbox, and his coworkers, Raf. Um, I always I always mess up Raf's last name. So how do you say it? Grisetti. Grisetti. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And so he uh, Raf Grisetti was right next to Della's booth, and then you were helping Raf at his booth, and we were like chit chatting and whatnot. And hey, yeah, now we're friends. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like uh, it was the the rappers that we be, we both fucked with and uh, anime. Ooh. That was like half of the mm-hmm. conversation. <laughs> yep, rapping and anime. So that's how yeah. that's all that's all the all the good friendships start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I've uh, I've just recently uh, uh, kind of twigged on to this whole uh, black artist movement where there's a lot of rappers that are obsessed with anime, like Thundercat. Yeah, who have been like 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 are heavy. Like they've, they've also wrote like uh, anime themed. Raptions, right? With like oh, yeah, totally. Durag and stuff. So, like, yeah, that's a whole thing. I just didn't realize it was a thing, but yeah. So. Oh, yeah, because him, freaking fly, uh, Flying Lotus is really into it. And um, and it's cool because I think what I was having this conversation with my friends, and I was like, you know, back when we were in middle school and high school, we all, we like watch anime. We were watching a lot of cartoons and that kind of stuff, but that wasn't cool at the point, at that point. And like, right. we were still doing other things. Like I was a B-boy, I was a DJ, but like the anime thing wasn't like, Hey guys, I'm an anime watcher. Where now yeah. here we are 20 years later. And like, you know, kids are embracing that aspect of it. You're seeing way more black cosplayers. You're seeing yeah. more black artists that are veering into anime, um, yep. getting more into that. And it's actually really cool. It's like, my friend was like, are you a little jealous? I'm like, nah, man, it's like the nerds are cool now. It's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a, with this conversation when I interviewed uh, Philip Booty Jr. And Phil was talking about like the whole movement of like within the black community as well, that people don't think like like black goths exist. Like there's no movement of like alternative black people. But he was mm-hmm. like, I was one of those kids. And now you look on TikTok, there's this whole like movement of like kawaii and cute and e-girls that are all black. Like it's a whole thing. So it's cool. yeah, it's kind of cool, man. I just like it. Uh, like 
I've had conversations with him about it too. And like, mm-hmm. I just like that now, um, like black community as a whole is starting to look at all of us now and being okay yeah. with the different types. So we're breaking out of the same old stereotypes and stuff. Like I'm still a hip hop mm-hmm. kid. I'm a B-boy. Mm-hmm. I'm a DJ. I'm a dancer mm-hmm. and a bunch of different stuff. But now like, you can be those other extra like quote unquote weird the nerdy stuff. Or, yeah. The nerdy stuff, the goth stuff, going into mm-hmm. rock or having punk bands. And so you're, I'm glad that now, like um, as the black community is evolving, like we're kind of embracing like all the different types. And I think that's yeah, yeah, yeah. really, really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, I have a, I have one important question before we start, which I've always been uh, uh, curious to ask when you invited me on to this, this podcast. Am I the first white boy in here? <laughs> <laughs> I believe you are, sir. Let me oh, think. Wait. Yes. Yes. Because De- Della is a Native American. And yeah, actually you yeah. are. Congrats. <laughs> Breaking through barriers. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, too, I thought about it just because, um, you know, you were gracious enough to invite uh, myself, um, Phil Booty Jr., um, uh, Arthel and um and Kevin, Kevin Powell on yeah, yeah onto your art cast and like you know art cast I have been listening to I had listened to it like randomly but I didn't know it was you when I met you and then later on right. I kind of put the two and two together yeah, but yeah. um you you know you invited us on during the, um the height of a lot of the Black Lives Matter um protests and stuff yeah. and like why did you why did you feel the need to kind of like put let us use your platform <laughs> because I'm white <laughs> <And> I have <laughs> a voice it's <laughs> like you know I mean like it, uh, serious a serious answer uh it was because you know during that time i just wanted to do something and you know sometimes you look at those those things on the tv and on the news and you feel a bit powerless to help anybody and i felt like you know the podcast had even if a small reach you know it was going to help in some way that i could use it for a collective good and it was also the the reason that when i organized it and and run it i wanted you to to host it because i thought it's not my voice that needs to be heard right now. It's it's other people's. So um, that was the reason I kind of took a step back that whole episode. And, and you hosted it and spoke to the guys and did a whole hour. And uh, yeah, it was it was one of those things where I just wanted to do or feel like I was doing something that mattered um, for that community. So because I mean, nobody really probably wants to admit it, especially in America. But black culture has influenced every one of us in some way. Um, you know, all the way back to that Be Cool speech, you know, back in when that movie was at its height and how about, you know, Black America has influenced and shaped the whole of Western <laughs> society. So I feel like we owe it to those people to, you know, really reach out and help where we can. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it was dope, man. And it's funny because it um, that was like the first one I did. And then I ended up doing maybe four or five others with my old college. Um, some of the students mm-hmm. there, they kind of want to just have a discussion. Um, like my college yeah. now is I think it's like 80 percent or my college program is um, mm-hmm. like probably a good like 60 to 70 percent minority, um, mm-hmm. you know, real about 80 percent women. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a, still a very small black uh, contingent there. And so mm-hmm. the former and past students and uh, the former and current students want to just have a discussion discussion just about being black and art and that kind of stuff and um, it was really cool to kind of moderate that because they're these i'm the old man with these with these quote-unquote kids and so it was fun to let them talk their experiences and have that and we had um similar talks over the time one was about um black and being black in uh, animation another one was uh black hair in animation which was awesome uh 
the women had a whole presentation. They talked about like our hair is not supposed to look like an eraser. (laughs) (laughs) So they talked about those types of things. And it was like a really great discussion. So it really helped spark like a little bit more like panels. And I think even for I think sometime next year, we're going to start those up again. But it was just great. Good conversations. And honestly, it was dope because the other students, they had great questions and they really um, were just listening. And that was like their whole thing. They're just like, yeah, we these are sometimes we we don't know how to ask the right questions. And then sometimes we don't really have access to talk to people like that. So I felt like those types of conversations um, helped other people that did might might not know um, the situation or just hear about those types of experiences. So, yeah, man, it was really, really cool. Um, And how long have you been doing the uh, Artcast podcast now? 2016 was the first interview I done properly, I think, just before I went to industry workshops in London. I interviewed uh, Titus Lunter, who's... uh, uh, an artist out of the Netherlands, Holland, and he at the time had worked on a bunch of stuff. I think he was starting to work for Magic the Gathering, um, but then he'd also done stuff for the Division uh, video game mm. for Ubisoft. So that was where he was kind of getting like a lot of traction. Before then, he'd worked on kind of smaller stuff. So I got him on kind of the height of his career. Um, and then that year, I went to industry workshops in London. That was kind of when I started to get the first group of people that I would interview. Um, guys like Marcin Kliski and Marek Maggi, who are Polish, but they were had just worked on uh, Witcher 3 for CG Project Red, and I've mm. now worked on Cyberpunk. So, like, yeah, they were, like, the first people I kind of met. And uh, I'm hoping to get a couple of those. Marek especially, I'm hoping to get him back on soon to talk about his experience with Cyberpunk, um, which is uh, always a thing that people, he says, he hates that, you know, whatever happened with the game happened with the game but he always talks about how dope the art was right for that game. oh man the book the art of book is amazing and i think it's amazing you know um same when i was interviewing della we we're talking about the um the god of war art book and uh, right. he got to he got to ad that he was just basically saying you know the goal for that book was to kind of to be like a um like a star wars book art of book because right. all the star wars books the really good ones have a lot of concepting it has a lot of uh previs and so like right. you really get to see the shape of the game and like or uh, the shape of the movie and i thought for cyberpunk the same thing like i heard all yeah. the craziness about it i actually didn't play it my friends mm-hmm. were so so hype about it got it and yeah, so disappointed yeah. But I saw the art and I was like, dude, the ideas, you know, all the like the love and care that went mm-hmm. into the character design, still yeah. amazing. But it's yeah. one of those things where you I wish the game would have lived, lived up to the hype because I saw the hard work that a lot of the artists and like, the console guys went into it. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's a, a bit unfortunate because it was the same, I think, with a lot of the guys I knew who worked on the Star Wars projects because I've been in the industry enough now. I've met a bunch of those dudes and, you know, they worked their absolute ass off to make those three movies happen. But of course, even as a fan myself, like a Star Wars fan, you can kind of see like Rebel Tattoo Cinema, Marm, but, um, and BBA some other side. But, uh, but yeah, like, uh, like as a big fan of those, those films, it was disappointing to see how the fans came into that after the fact and the whole like bullying online and the harassment. Yeah. And, yeah. That's crazy. It gets I mean, yeah. It's bad. I think that's the one thing for this era of like art and like movies and games, the mm-hmm. level of fandom that's kind of turned on to more of a toxic and kind of like uh hate bullying type of stuff. Yeah. It's just getting to the point where it's just like ridiculous because everyone that's behind the stuff, you know, they're the ones that's creating it. They're making the stuff and all that. They don't have final say in a lot of the different things. A lot of that's out of their hands, but the part that they were in, that part was cool. You know, I've, Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite stories was um, I was in a workshop for Ian McKeg and he had did, um, you know, uh, Harry Potter. He made up uh, Prince, Princess Amidala's dresses. And he's mm-hmm. one of design Darth Maul. And so he he was talking about Jar Jar Binks and the original mm-hmm. prequel. And he oh, was yeah. just like, yeah, you saw the drawings from Jar Jar Binks. We're like, oh, yeah, it looks really cool. He's like, mm-hmm. so 
the reason why I was so mad about it was because the way they allowed some of the animators to look at my drawings, they were kind of like an, almost like in a vault in um, mm. at, the, at the studio. So you had to like get out of your chair, go to that said vault, look at said drawings, and then come back and go back to your chair. So he's like, after a while, I think the animators probably just kind of like took liberties and were just like, oh, we'll just do what we want. So I, mm. I had, he's like, he, I had designed him to be more regal. Um, mm-hmm. to have certain kind of like a gravitas to it. And then when I saw the mm-hmm. final product, he was like, what the hell happened? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a thing where people talk about how the original idea for that character was versus how it ended up at the end. But then people almost thought, was there a whole conspiracy where because the actor who played him was black, were they mm. trying to portray him in a different way than they originally thought with the regalness because he was... A quite a physical black actor and yeah. you'd like to think that'd be the case but like you, you don't know how people could be yeah translating his body movements because of his height and stuff so and that but that actor suffered dreadfully after those prequels he talked about how many times he really thought about suicide after you know the hate he got for that that role which is crazy so it sucks man i think i think that's yeah. the thing where it's like the fans almost take it too too seriously and yeah. they forget about the the love and care and then the artistic values that things that like go into yeah. that stuff and so it's like like even when it comes to some fans or i'm talking to some people i'm like yo man relax dude it's not that serious <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah people forget like even me as a like a hardcore star wars fan like star wars as a kid's family movie like it's, mm-hmm. it's space opera, right? It's yep. no like hardcore sci-fi. It's, yep. it's um, it's got its place where people can love the characters. But the reason the characters look like the way they do, and the reason how there's like dainty little music playing in the background, is because it's it's meant for younger audiences. It's meant yeah. for young teens, kids. So yeah. you know, when a lot of these guys who are now my age in their thirties, early forties, looking at this, the film, they're like, ah, oh, you know, and this one, this isn't canon, and blah, blah. and it's like, <laughs> dude, like, have you seen the Ewoks? I mean, Jesus. <laughs> Oh man! I remember when I was younger. Yeah. I was like, "Yo, the Ewoks are so cool." And then I watched it when I was older. I was like, "Oh, this is annoying." <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then I think there's now a part of the Star Wars universe that John Favreau has kind of like coined, where he's doing the Mandalorian, Boba Fett. Yeah. So like, you know, there's now an adult version of that where like people can be a bit, can be a bit more serious. Like people are quoting that uh, bo- the bo- the book of Boba Fett is kind of going to be like the Sopranos in space. So mm. like, it's going to okay. fill in. And I yeah. think that's that's a that's a smart play because like you know Star Wars is actually better told in serial form in my opinion and so yeah, yeah. they can have more fun with it they could be a little bit more serious like Mando mm-hmm. was hitting all the right beats like a straight up spaghetti western it was really good yeah, yeah, yeah. good storytelling nothing crazy mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I think if they if they allow those types of things to keep going then they'll oh that will kind of keep that balance where we can have that yeah, where, yeah. Um, and then so for the art cast so you're talking to like a lot of different people in the industry um, and it's cool because it's a lot a lot of people that are known a lot of people that are unknown people that are about to be known like i've seen names on there where i'm like i remember hearing about it and then later on that person pops up on like cyberpunk or something else like really, right, really yeah. and so it's kind of a good mix of people and um folks uh, it's um it's an art cast digital art cast it's a podcast mm-hmm. for that he talks with um concept artists and animators and that kind of stuff and so mm-hmm. um yeah it's really really informative i really like like the 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 mix of people in it and i think that's the part that makes it like really really cool especially all levels to something that was like really dope yeah we've we've have kind of strived to make sure that it's not just like you know massive industry juggernauts that are on it constantly where you know like you're only hearing from people who are 30 year vets or people who have been in the industry for years and years and we've tried to hit some people up who are like like in their first year of their job or maybe only like five or six years in and then you know because then you want to have a relation to the listener where they're, they're kind of picking up on vibes like oh i've just went through that and we we spoke to uh moses moses yeah moses and fleur and moses was uh 
you know, I think he was only about a year in his his career at the time with Ubisoft. But um, I think even back then he wasn't working with Ubisoft. He was working with some studio that done like the Naruto Dragon Ball Z games, uh, basically mm-hmm. in, in Canada. He was from Miami, which was hilarious because he talked really like, moving from Miami to Montreal the first year, like <laughs> passing out in the snow, like so cold. But but uh, but he he was because he was kind of so close to where he started from. He could really vividly explain getting that first call or that email mm-hmm. for the job and the excitement he went through about like organizing that first trip and the art test and um but then we've interviewed people who have been in the industry forever and and you know we just we just got uh carl ortiz interviewed she's gone off as a christmas episode um we had danny dwyer from uh danny o'dwyer sorry from no clip who does the video documentaries uh we had um clinton from uh decagon we had oh god dan milligan that you talked about um Laura Gallagher from um, Outgang. We had Billy Garston from uh, Airship Syndicate. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Also, we had uh, Peter McConnell, who was the audio director for Monkey Island, Day the Tentacle, Grim Fandango. Uh, audio director. That'd be actually interesting, too. Yeah. 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 Well, we had uh, Darren Corborn, right? Who's the current audio director for Supergiant Games, the guys who do Hades and mm-hmm. Bastion and stuff like that. So, Hades is a great game. Yeah. Well, he he talked about making the music for that and making the music for all the different games that they've done Pyre, Bastion, Hades, uh, you know, all, the, all those games. So, yeah, we've tried to. At every point mix it up like even Ross Tregenza when we had Ross on Ross had worked as an, not an audio director but an audio head or lead in the cyberpunk the CD Project Red guys um, mm. he's also went to do a couple other things so we got him like just as cyberpunk was coming out we interviewed him um, for the last last year's Christmas episode and uh, yeah th- there's a bunch of people on there and you know it, it started with concept artists because at the moment that I got into the industry, that was all I knew. But then, of course, as I expanded my knowledge, you know, I learned about 3D UI. I mean, even when we had Billy on from, from Airship Syndicate, who've done Darksiders and Battle Chasers and now the Rune King for Riot, uh, Billy is a UI or UI UX experience uh, developer. So he done user interface, user experience uh, for a lot of web stuff back in the day. But then so when they the video started, games. Yeah, yeah. Well, they kickstarted... Uh, Battle Chasers back in the day and he yep. brought on as like a contractor and then as soon as they basically finished that game and the, the game done well they brought him in full time and then they started on the Darksiders Genesis game so um, yeah so Billy's nah man that's so and then you started this because you had just started to kind of pivot from your old job which mm-hmm. I don't even know what that job was all I know it was lame and then you started to go to art <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was uh, I was a railway telecoms engineer so I worked on oh. <laughs> yeah data centers and telecommunication equipment on the railway so usually when drivers are on the running rail with the trains uh, if they have to get off the train to contact the signal box which runs the, the lines they would use phones or point phones to phone them and then we would go out and fix them if there was a fault if they were disconnected if they were broken and then the data centers that run those lines around about the country um, we maintained those as well so interesting at the time uh, and pretty decently paid but then I kind of got to my late 20s and realized that I didn't love where I was working and who I was working with. There was some nice people, there was some not great people. But then I had a love for games and um, I said this in my last podcast, I think I've done with somebody where, because I'm, I'm, I've recently came on as a, a senior technical writer for a, a games website, so I'm doing some technical stuff for them about the industry and I'm doing an intro piece right now where I've talked about my past and how I got to where I am, so it's funny I'm kind of reliving all that, but I basically left my job because I'd done a really horrible uh, shift in one of my works where we were on call uh, during the winter, like right now, like during Christmas, and we had something called on call where if there was a fault, 
whoever was on call had to get up at the red at whatever time and go fix whatever was broken. Mm. And I was at the time only, oh God, 26, 27. Um, but even at that time, I still didn't have a lot of experience because I spent about five years doing my internship. So, um, yeah, I was out there for about 16 to 18 hours fixing that fault. Yeah. It was really bad. Somebody had basically burned like a whole cable, like a whole thing of cables. And yeah, there's teams out there for six or seven hours just fixing the cables. So and it's like in the, the, the dead of winter in, in yeah, Scotland. Yeah, Scotland. <laughs> yeah, minus three or something with the snow. Oh, like, me. oh it was freezing. Dude. So I came home from that because I still had to drive an hour home. And then I collapsed on my stairs because I was so tired. And um I just phoned my parents and I was like, I'm so done with this job. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I decided to, to, cause I watched at the time, I watched a lot of video game documentaries and mm. making ofs. And I think at the time it was like the Halo 3 doc and God of War doc. And, uh, they had basically kind of inspired me to, well, they showed me first of all, that art could be a job within games. Cause even back then, you know, concept design and stuff like that was still fresh in the industry because it hadn't really been defined as it is now. Um, but like, yeah, you know. it's kind of weird because I, I graduated in 2004, dating myself. Mm-hmm. And um, when we were in school, like we were pushed to do more animation because that was kind of like mm-hmm. what was the um, kind of the thing to do at that time. Like yeah. most of our most of our um, learning was like storyboarding and animatics and that kind of stuff. And so gaming around 2004 was still around. It was there, but it wasn't mm-hmm. at the same height that it is now in terms of popularity, oh, yeah, in terms yeah. of like especially industry wise as a kid coming out of college. Like that wasn't something like, hey, I'm to go be a game artist it was kind of like oh yeah. you're a game artist all right like it was like movie it was like movie first then tv and then game yeah, at the yeah. bottom and it was so weird because we would talk to our teachers about that we're like well isn't it being uh, an actual artist at a game studio better than being like you know a regular pa at like an ilm or like a you know sony or something and then yeah. and in their time and again they're older they're you know they're illustrator vets and stuff like that but in their mm-hmm. mind they looked at disney pixar and that as like the pinnacle of what you should be doing as an artist mm-hmm. and then games is kind of low and so many of my classmates started to were they went that route to the, you know, to the ILMs and then that kind of stuff. And then a few of yeah. them, they started to go to the video games and it's paid dividends to them, you know, years later as like, mm-hmm. you see now, now people are um, starting up their own school, starting up their own programs for concept art yeah. and character design. Cause that's the stuff that we learned in school and it was all amazing, but it was mm-hmm. cool that now it's focused on more where people want to get into it. And also too, mm-hmm. just the, the love of, of, of expanding what kids can do as an artist. Cause before, yeah. you know, and as an artist, like, so what are you going to do? You're going to illustrate children's books. Uh, you're going to be a comic book artist, a yeah. painter, fine artist type person. And then maybe like paint signs and like calligraphy or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I was leaving my job originally, uh, the one thing I did look at because it was the closest thing I had to illustration was comic books. And um, mm-hmm. it was a bunch of artists at the time. I mean, Jim Lee was like one of the first proper books I got, his Icons book. That was like the first proper thing I had for, for reference. Um, but there was a, bu- a bunch of people that I followed at the time. I mean, like Todd McFarlane and guys like that. Joe Mad, of course, you know, runs yeah. the syndicate who made the Dark Sider stuff. Um, so there was a bunch of people back then that, um, you know, it really inspired me to, to, you know, get into comic books. But then I think I quickly learned how... <laughs> you know how badly paid they were and how many hours they put in versus what they get paid and because a lot of those guys now are yeah. like moving to animation because it's just yeah. such a better paid gig with unions yeah and then also yeah. to their you know the the, the logger nowadays and I talked to my good friend Kenny Wong recently in a couple mm-hmm. episodes back and um, he started he's a comic book artist right now um, he's a stuntman actually as a full time with his comic book starting to transition but oh, nice. he he was saying that kind of the same thing too where you know the industry is really interesting where you know you 
at this point, as a comic book artist, the most money you would make as a sustainable living would be your own um, IP, your own creations on top of yeah. doing. So you're writing, you're creating. As, so just being a quote unquote comic book artist, you can still do it. But it's it's definitely a harder uh, lane to roll if unless you start doing your own books, start doing your own stories and all that kind of stuff, which then leads to more entrepreneurial type stuff, business and that, which a lot of people might not want to do. Some people really just want to do art and that's it. But it's grueling, man. It's definitely, definitely grueling. And I think yeah. as I started to see my friends transition more into uh, video games, I started to see, OK, cool. They're making sustainable livings. You know, they're putting in those hours, too. But they're starting to make some stuff that they really like. They're really proud of. Um, they still can do art and then they can have a sustainable living with family and all that so it was good to see that in video games like a lot of my art friends can um can do what they love and still make a considerable living i think um they they did have to sacrifice all that time working on 80 hours weeks <laughs> yeah. but that's changing now which is good but yeah I mean, I, that was the other thing that like as i was working in entertainment i was watching them they're pulling like you know 80 hours six days a week like kind of oh, schedules yeah, yeah. for crunch time and stuff like that i'm like that's insane ridiculous yeah, yeah. i remember watching like way back this is back like 2010 or something like that but i was watching a dude I think you know, right, Carrie Randolph, who mm-hmm. was, a, was a black artist at the time in comic books, and he done a whole set of videos for sci-fi where he interviewed him, and he was talking about, like, I think at the time he was on two books, and he was like, you know, I'm doing, like, 90 hour weeks, like, flat, like, I don't have any time for social life or, like, time with my girl, because I'm just so flat out working, um, but then I think it's also... You know, I think comic books, whenever seen as like a serious medium, I think now post the MCU, right, where it's now just like super exploded, there probably will be a whole new generation of kids that are getting into like comic books and making their own stories. I mean, even like, I mean, there was a thing way back when I watched uh, the Underworld movies back in the day, you mm-hmm. know, like the, the vampire stuff. Yep, Kevin so that was, that, Yeah, yeah. So I never knew that Kevin, because he's in the film, right, as one of the, mm-hmm. the Lycan. He is the most, uh, he's the most non-comic book looking comic book dude ever. <laughs> oh, like yeah. Six yeah. foot five, huge. huge, like deep old voice. Like, yo, he's such the a nerd. Too. Voice. Yeah. He's like such <laughs> a nerd, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Nah, he's such a nerd. And like, because um, hmm. he, he created uh, Blue Marvel for Marvel. He also did um, uh, a good run on the New Warriors. And like, he did all the Underworld movies and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah. But I like that, like more people are getting into comics and that kind of stuff and creating. Um, and it's not just like readily regulated to like just a big two and like, you know, big right. three if you added image and stuff like that. But yeah, I think I'm really happy that like with the age of like Patreon and Kickstarter and all that kind of stuff, you see start yeah. to see more creator owned type stuff and people can kind of mm-hmm. take the more reins of their own production. And then now mm-hmm. they can kind of like balance that out because like a lot of uh even like Kari Randolph, he switched more almost exclusively to digital now and yeah. um, to do, and then that's, and for him, it just, it just from workflow wise, it just makes it easier yeah. for him. It makes him faster and he can actually, you yeah. know, pump out the stuff that he needs to and, and still do it. So it's really interesting to see that shift in time where it's like, you're starting to see, I mean, I think comic books uh, artists still are like woefully underpaid, but I started, yeah. but I'm glad that there's opportunities that they could actually make their own books, get it funded by the crap, by their uh, fans and really mm-hmm. produce some really dope stuff on their own terms. Well, Kevin is the same. I mean, when he talked about doing Underworld, he told that story because he tried to pitch it as a comic, but nobody would back it. So he was like, I took it to Hollywood and then somebody just wanted to just make it a film. So he was like, I got luckier than I thought I was going to get. <laughs> it was just a comic, right? That that <laughs> exploded as much because yeah, he'd done like three films on him before he stepped away. But yeah, like, you know, that whole... But then it was funny though because... I remember seeing on that uh, list of credits as writers on that script uh, originally, apart from him, there was also a guy called 
dynamic bride. Mm-hmm. And I'm always curious if it's the same dynamic bride that is now the comedian slash actor yep. that's in films. Yeah, yeah, is, I would not be surprised because he's a really yeah, the random amount of stuff dude. he's worked on yeah. is crazy. He's, yeah. he's back and roots. You know, I think when people see his characters on screen, they take him as such like an ass almost, like just yeah. an idiot. But like, he has been on so many projects and written so much stuff. I'm like, how does this guy do it? Like he has so many things just cooking constantly film wise. And uh, yeah. And I think that's yeah, the thing yeah. too, where it's like, um, you know, I think too, I'm, I'm glad that this new era of uh, people or um, creators that are coming out, especially artists, they're thinking, yeah. um, from top to bottom now, because before I used to be, I just want to be an artist. I want to, I want to draw Spider Man. That's all I want to do. Yeah. If I can get mm-hmm. it, that's, that's my goal. But now it's yeah. like, oh, I want to draw Spider Man, but I also want to create my own thing, and I also want to do other things, or I want to work with friends and have more collaborations. And yeah. so I like that I see more um, collaborations in those aspects of it. And like even in games, like you did a lot of the um, the game jams, and mm-hmm. you did it with a couple of friends to create your own game in a, a specific period of time. Like, what's yeah. the whole like when it comes to game jams? Like, what's the like what's the rules for that? So typically, well, the way I got in basically was because it was during lockdown last year. So it was last November at this time. And they, there was obviously lockdown. We were all stuck inside. I didn't have a lot to do. And I wanted to get some experience working on production because even back then, even last November, I was still kind of fresh out of university because I obviously went back as a mature student. So when I graduated, I was 33, 34. Um, so, yeah, so when I went in the game jam, I basically put my name out into the, the kind of raffle to find people and two programmers found me from Ireland which is across the pond in Scotland like there's like Scotland within the UK but then over the water there's Ireland so those guys um they kind of reached out to me and said yo you know like we're looking for a, an artist to basically help make us a, make a game in this game jam that was going on at the time and uh yeah there was only three of us but we made that game in in uh, a couple of days like three or four days and then we had a, we had a week to do it but then typically the game jams are like either 24 or 48 hours. But at the time, the guy who was running it, Colin McDonald, who works in Game Jobs Live, um, who's like a, he basically was heavily involved in the creation and build up of DMA Design and then Rockstar mm. North. So he like launched the original Grand Theft Auto series before he walked away from it. I think he worked the Grand Theft Auto 4 and then he left before 5 came out. Um, but like, yeah, so he was running a system where he was trying to get young graduates into jobs. So he started this game jam program. And yeah, we had a we had a week because what he didn't want to do, he didn't want to have the typical thing of people staying up for twenty four hours or forty eight hours trying to finish stuff because like the sleep deprivation and the whole yeah. crunch culture. So he was like, "Look, here's a space of five six days. Take your time. Start on the Monday, end on the Sunday, and here's your here's your goal." And yeah, we had that game down four or five days, and uh, and yeah, won a bunch of awards, like nearly all of them. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was like a crazy good team. And then. Uh, uh, about four or five months later in the March this year um, we done another one we done the Calamity um, that was a different experience because I think we got cocky from the last game because we done so well <laughs> we made we just shot for this impossibly crazy it was like 2D Dark Souls almost it was like so intense <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had a lot of falling out and a lot of shouting at each other but like ultimately it was great because the game came out amazing but we didn't win as many awards so we were like oh yeah we just totally overshot but um, but yeah so the game jazz were fun because it was a good idea of like working an engine and working to deadlines so um, yeah no it sounds dope because I mean and I think like I like when artists collaborate with each other especially when they collaborate with devs because then you mm-hmm. know each people can kind of like pull their own weight in the thing that they're respectively in so it's not all yeah. on one person and so yeah. it's good to kind of like have that kind of thing and plus like you know going through um a lot of those game jam games it was just like really fun random stuff and like like it got me like i got a switch maybe three four years ago and one of the 
things I liked about Switch was like the how the indie developer community of Switch is really, really good. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's just so many games of just like I tried so many just random, like just random indie games and maybe like, you know, like I said, three people, four, maybe mm-hmm. five max. You know, they're not triple yeah. A people. They don't have a huge budget, but they have a good idea. The game yeah. is solid and it's just fun. Mm-hmm. And so it was cool when I saw the game jam stuff because I was like, oh, man, this is cool. I like I like this aspect of it of like, again, mm-hmm. encouraging young artists to like collaborate with people and then make mm-hmm. their own stuff that's not tied to like you know a legacy or anything like mm-hmm. that and like you said this helps people show their chops so that if they were going to go somewhere big that like hey mm-hmm. i've already done it with a small team on our own stuff yeah. like now we can go do some cool stuff for you you know yeah yeah 100 yes it's a great way to it was the same reason that i started the podcast because then at least it showed that i was doing something like i had a passion and i was putting it somewhere constructive because i could make the podcast and then it showed like i was consistent i was getting results constantly and talking to bigger and better people and i mean like i'm one of like maybe five people on the planet that's interviewed publicly interviewed scott robertson um because he's such a huge influence on a lot of people's uh, career for the last 20 years um mm-hmm. but like yeah there's, there's just a, even like peter mcconnell you know peter you know like working on the original monkey island and stuff like that like that's a huge legacy yeah, to work yeah. as well and you know you know carol ortiz who's one of the biggest artists in the arts in the industry and you know i yeah, just I, spoke to yeah i was just i was just saying to you before the, the podcast i talked about we've just interviewed lauren lanning which is going up soon as well and mm, he created he created abe's odyssey which is a huge legacy as well so that's yeah. one game i still have to play even though everyone i know that, that plays it loves it um yeah carla yeah. carla ortiz is awesome because i follow her on twitter and mm-hmm. i the one thing i liked about her is like she's very honest and yep. a lot of times i think with the rise of like you said mcu comma games and all that stuff there's a lot of yeah. hobbyists that get into art and then they kind yeah. of i think especially at this in the terms of how the culture is right now in terms of just society and ever like everyone feels like because they do something they're they're entitled to get something else <laughs> and not everyone's yeah. good is the best yeah. way to put it <laughs> yeah um and so it was fun because i think she was talking to a younger artist because they're and she was kind of just she, she wasn't even mean about it she's just being very like hey well at the end of the day you got to put your time in you got to get good you got to do this you got to yeah. learn this you got your colors like it's cool mm-hmm. that you try quote air quotes but mm-hmm. you still got to be good and i think that's one thing that I'm starting to see with a lot of the younger kids that the ones that really do put that time in and really understand that they're really working mm-hmm. hard and they, and it shows like they look they're they're amazing artists, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that they kind of feel like just because they try, they should be, they should get something. And I'm kind of like, nah, man, at the end of the day, you still gotta, you still gotta put the work in and to get better and continue to, um, to make on your craft. And so mm-hmm. you started about, you said a lot about roughly 10 years ago when you started to shift onto the thing. So you went to uni first to kind of get a, an art degree. Yeah, yeah. So I done, oh I done the longest route ever. Like I'm looking back at it now, like I probably should have like tried and done it half the time. But yeah, I left and got a like an intro uh, kind of course, which was like a foundation art, you know, course. Because if I wanted to go the the academic route, I needed certain qualifications, and because I've never been to school to do them recently, and you know, it's been a long time since I was at school. I think I left high school in two thousand and three. So. You know, when I left that, I didn't do any artistic stuff. Um, so when I went to the interview initially, the, the woman, uh, Julie, um, if you're listening, shout out Julie, who gave me my first shot in that course, you know, she was like, you couldn't maybe get into this course, but there's like a foundation course that's like a beginner thing. <laughs> so I was like, oh, but then I was I was in that course with like kids who were like, you know, and kids like, you know, 19, yep. 20, 21 year old. And she was like, you know, and I was 27 at the time. So she was like, you know, you might feel a bit weird. And I was like, look, anything, I just want to just start this journey. I don't care where I end up. And, uh, I did a foundation art degree for a year. I done another year degree thing, like it was like another almost foundation, but a bit higher up. 
I done two years in design. So I've done graphic design and web stuff. Um, and then I was about to finish that in 2014 until I was like, why am I leaving my job to go be a graphic designer? It's not specifically what I want to do. Like, you know, great jobs and everything, but like I, I wanted to work in games. So, you know, and I stood there in, in my course and I was like, right, let's go apply to uni. And I didn't get into university straight away because, well, the one, because I didn't come the traditional route. And two, there's a big stigma against mature students. People think like, you know, folk are coming in there like hobbyists and it's like not an actual vocation. Ah, um, that's actually weird. Promise. Yeah, it's the opposite yeah. here. I think if if you're an older student in college now in America, I think they look oh. at it. You're like they look at you're like doing a career change, or you're almost more yeah. focused. You know, kind of the thing. Yeah. Um, my friends that I've done, I know that that took them school, uh, classes, and like mm-hmm. they're the older person there. They notice that, like, yeah, as an older person, they're just like, yep, or stay mature. They're mm-hmm. more like focused. They're ready to go. And then they look at the young kids like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> Yeah, 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 I mean, like, yeah, it was, it was, it was evident. I think more when I went to university because I never got a place initially. So I went in what's called clearing, which means when there's spaces left but they haven't filled, they go up in like a board, and then it's kind of first come first serve. So oh, wow. I contacted the university at the time, and their director was like, "Yeah, like your stuff's good. Like I like your design because I was also painting a lot of the time. I was doing some two D paint concept stuff." And he was like, "Yeah, we do more three D here, so like it might not be your speed, but if rather going into third year, which I could qualify for because I done my my diploma, he was like, you." Might we want to go into second year because we started to learn 3D then, uh, which was funny because that was the first year I went in they were learning and teaching all desk Maya because before then mm. it was like Lightroom or something yeah. like that, or Lightwave. Oh yeah, um, Lightwave and um, yeah, uh, yeah. Softimage. I, I learned on yeah. Softimage and Maya back in the day and then... Right, yeah, so they were doing that. like that stuff. Maya, yeah. But they, they went over to Maya because a local studio in Glasgow, which had just worked on like Halo, had, were using Maya, so they were like, well, this must be the industry standard, so let's move them across. <laughs> so, um, And then my 3D journey started from there and I'm a bunch of cool people and I mean it was funny like that span I mean I, I say I left my job in 2011 2012 but my, my journey really started in 2015 where you know I did my first year of uni um I saved all my money that year to go to industry events I started the podcast you know like I really started taking it seriously and it was yeah. funny because when I emailed the guys at the university I also emailed the guy that access and I said look you guys just worked on Halo you just worked on Horizon Zero Dawn Alien a bunch of stuff um what does it take to get into your studio? And they kind of go back to me and their head of recruitment at the time, Joe Wallace, got in touch with me and says, look, this is typically what we look for, maybe meet those standards. And then when I went to the industry workshops that August, um, I passed a table where I had Axis Studios and sitting in front of me was John Beeston, their head of art, and Joe Wallace, their head of recruitment. And I says, oh, hey, I've just spoke to you guys on email. And Joe was like, oh, you're from Scotland. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm actually not far from Glasgow where you guys are. And she was like, oh, cool. Like, would you want to come by the studio sometime? I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And then that's basically how in 2017 I got my internship in Axis and worked with them while they were working on Destiny 2, League of Legends, Warhammer, so yeah, I like that. I like that. One of the things I noticed is like you're you're pretty much go getting, and you're also like not afraid to put yourself out there. Just like just a, you know an email or a phone call or just try some type of access to kind of see. And I think a lot of kids, a lot of times they forget that like a lot of times it does start with just a good conversation. And it's not like yeah. you know they a lot of people are afraid to kind of just ask. But then once mm-hmm. you ask, most people unless they're dicks, they're usually pretty yeah. nice. <laughs> and yeah. if they can't, you know, and if they can't help you or they can't like. You know, They'll, they'll be nice about it but like most people yeah, they, yeah. you know if it's not too much for them they'll be like yeah sure man just do xyz or you know talk to this person mm-hmm. or point you in the right direction because everyone remembers being in that same situation especially <laughs> when it comes to art and we and we always want to be able to pay it forward because everyone someone someone us someone else gave us the you know the the little push and the little nudge to go mm-hmm. in the right direction so we mm-hmm. kind of have to we kind of feel that we need to do the same thing for others 
Well, I mean, it was funny because the reason we met, like we talked about earlier, is because I was friends with Raf Gazette, still am to this day. And, and you know, Raf was someone where he was at Trojan Horses a Unicorn and 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 Malta at the time, they're typically from Portugal, but Raf came and, do, came and give a talk after he finished God of War, um, 2018 God of War. And he was doing a big talk and I, I walked up to him like later in the day. I was like, dude, like I'm a big fan, really love what you do. Like any chance you want me to come on the podcast or talk about it? And he was like, yeah, yeah, dude, like I'm busy just now, but get up, you know, get back to me when I get back to America. And we spent that weekend kind of like hanging out and having a beer. And I got sat on one of his live demos. And then when I got back home and I, I messaged him about coming on the podcast, he looked through the podcast and he was like, oh, you're quite articulate, you're quite good at talking and, and presenting, and he's like, I'm just about to do a whole series of, like, uh, classrooms where I'm going to teach things to people. Would you be up for, like, helping me out, helping me present them? I was like... Nice! Yeah, like, definitely. And <laughs> my, my first ever paid work in the industry was from Raf. Raf, Raf paid me money to help him those weekends, but I was going to do it for free. But Raf was like, yeah, I can pay, like a couple of hundred each weekend and I was like dude like yeah <laughs> of course um, and then yeah that was the first kind of remnants of our friendship and Raf's you know been great over the last couple of years just giving me advice and helping me and, and you know um, he was even mentoring me at one point in Catcher Art but just uh, at the time I wasn't really in the mindset to learn stuff and I was really struggling mentally so um, but then Raf was like it's cool you know like whenever you want to come back to it it's fine but um, but then Raf's like you know one of the biggest names in the industry for Catcher Art to even want to help yeah, me yeah man was yeah, crazy and uh, yeah. his 3d stuff that he does like all the stuff he's done for god of war is awesome stuff that he's been doing on yeah. his own where he does stuff like uh, he'll do some like marvel characters he'll do some you know tv ninja turtles or basically whatever he does the, the thing that caught me is when he started to uh 3d print there you go and he did the nova that one was amazing um, yeah like the magnets amazing. and everything like just like all clicks and like souls together it's like yeah and honestly he was one of the first ones i saw use 3d printing to make his own maquettes um at a, yeah. a high quality because usually Usually those types of things are reserved for like McFarland toys or anything like mm-hmm. that. And so like yeah. he was like just cranking out some dopeness. But yeah, I mean, I think kind of going through that journey, finding those mentors, really like mm-hmm. jumping on those opportunities, like will help you kind of go into that realm. And then yeah. that's when I started to see you do more 3D art. Mm-hmm. We started to do more like props and you started to do mm-hmm. things like that. And so mm-hmm. did you want to do, did you want to do more character stuff or is props kind of what kind of got you in and you kind of just like, like in that, stay in that props realm? I mean, I'd, I definitely have tried everything at this point. Like I've tried to, you know, most people when they're younger will get a chance to try and experiment with a lot of different things. And you've got a bit more time because you're younger. Like but with me being like in my mid-30s at the time when I graduated, like I, I tried to just rapidly absorb as much as I could. And props in 3D seem to have came more naturally to me than anything else. Um, but then I was also getting to a point later in my career when I met Raf where I was starting to really burn out and I didn't realise it. Um, but I was, you know, I'd been... I had my foot in the pedal for almost eight years at that point. And, yeah. you know, I hadn't taken it off. And I mean, I remember posting something back in 2017, I think, before I went to THU. And I was like, literally like lying on my floor, staring at the ceiling. And I took a picture <laughs> of the ceiling and I was like, what the fuck am I doing in my life? Like, what <laughs> but then it took all that struggle to get where I am now. But like, yeah, 3D just seemed to be a more natural fit for me because... I like seeing assembly and building worlds. So I think with 3D environment art, you've got the opportunity to build that kind of stuff because you can build like a hangar or like a, an ammo dump or like a haunted mansion. Like, you know, because you can build those worlds, you're not kind of limited by 
the characters in it or the props in it, you can because you can make everything. And if you work an engine, you can make like the you know the fog and the lighting. Yeah, and, you know all that. So I, I think it was just a cool. I mean, like I started this concept and like I've, I still to this day have a sketchbook like next to me where like I draw reg- regularly, like usually Hellboy stuff. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I, I, even in my if you go my portfolio section, you can see the two D work. Like I still. I can still knock a painting out if I try. Like the, I done a Last of Us tribute back in the day, and, and I actually got the attention of some of the guys from Naughty Dog, and they were like, "Dude, it's pretty sick." And I was like, "Oh, thanks, man." <laughs> so I think if I'd stuck my head in hard enough, I could have done anything. I'm kind of like that. It's not like a brag, but I've always been like that in my life, especially because I used to be a musician. I still am to an extent. I still play piano. I still play guitar and sing and stuff. But if I wanted to learn an instrument and I really just stuck my head in for a weekend, I could learn something pretty quickly and. It tends to be just a trait. I don't know where it came from. Um, you know, from maybe from all the years I played video games, mastering that stuff, or like how I used to read a lot as a kid and, and just soaking books and knowledge. But yeah, I could I could tend to just jump into a subject matter and, and uh, kind of almost copy quite quickly, especially if somebody's in front of me doing it and I can watch, I can imitate that really like quite effectively. Yeah, it's um, more of a, a jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. And like once basically, you basically, yeah. And then once you focus on one, you'll you can you know you're putting all that energy into it. And I've noticed yeah. like a lot of your 3D work now is just like it's been zooming, just been getting better and better and better and it looks good. And you're yeah, and your, yeah, yeah. even your your turnarounds are a lot faster now too. Where I think you, you're starting yeah. to, I'm starting to see that now. It's like okay now you're in it. And then you recently started working at uh used to fabricated games, I believe, or madness I should say. Fabricated madness, yeah yeah which is the thing I told you about earlier, which is a crazy story where when I left my job, I originally typed into Google concept artist and then looked for results. <laughs> and the first dude that came up was a guy called Matt Gazer. And Matt is now, after 20 years working with Disney, ILM, you know, DreamWorks, Riot Games, Blizzard, he's now left to make his own company. Um, and when he left, they were looking for a 3D dude. And uh, I knew him for over 10 years. He was a Lightbox as well. And uh, yeah, he just reached out to me one day and he was like, dude, I saw your game jams. And I was like, oh, cool, dope. He was like, we're looking for worlds like that, fantasy stuff. Like, would you be up for talking about working for us? And I was like, yeah. And then Matt just offered me a job and uh, the rest is history. So, I mean, like, I've been working there now since August and it's been an absolute blast because I think the reason my stuff is also looking doper now is because Matt's an art director, right? So my stuff has direction. So when I'm yeah. posting stuff and feedback and putting colors and stuff, Matt's taking it away and going, cool, change this, add this yep. hue, make this darker. Then when it's going up, like people are like, oh, your stuff looks like a lot better. I'm like, yeah, I've got an art director now. So now it's, <laughs> it's, it's actually, no, you know, it's not just me. Yeah. yeah. So, no, it's good, man. Yeah. It's, and then honestly, that's what you need is like, especially now, because you're in, um, you're now like after that full 10 year journey, um, mm-hmm. you're kind of like, at the beginning of your next 10 year journey where it's just like, okay, it took you about 10 years to get here, but now you have another 10 years that you're going to be like actually in it. Now you've, you know, the people yeah, you yeah. starting to do this stuff and now it's about <laughs> like cranking out the games, like really getting it. So it, it's, it's pretty dope to see, man. I think a lot of, um, a lot of people, don't want to take that first step of just like realizing that what they're doing is it for them and then figuring mm-hmm. out what to do next. Cause I think that's the hardest part where you're just like, Oh, I don't want to do what I'm doing. But then a lot of people are just like, eh, I'm going to stick it out until I retire or something to that effect where, <laughs> um, instead you're just kind of like all right this is gonna suck but i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna take the le- the leap and see if i can make something good out of it um yeah. and i imagine i imagine your girlfriend is a very supportive person with your bumness <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i mean 100 percent. like yeah I, I, if it hadn't been for my parents and diane like i just wouldn't have made it like because you know my parents definitely supported me because you know i mean they've got pretty good jobs so like they weren't charging me rent they were letting me stay there and then it also helped us as well because of the little money i was there and like before i got my full thing 
gig with Matt, I was also freelancing for companies as well. And I was doing stuff for free or like small paid gigs. So it wasn't huge stuff, but I do maybe work for them for one or two months and I'd, I'd basically finish. Um, but yeah, so the little money I had, I was putting away for savings and that went into our house now that we have. So when we moved, basically that money I had, I could then put into the house. Yeah. Um, and Diane was lucky because she, not lucky, but worked really hard as well. She changed her career as well at 30 because she left um, she was like a data analyst almost like an accountant uh, hated her job as well and then she went back and retrained at a small company in Scotland called CodeClan and they take you from being like basically nothing to a full like stack developer like a, a programmer in like six months nice. so she done that changed her career went and worked for the local government here in Scotland and then within a year went from junior to senior um, nice. and then her pages went you know huge and so she basically helped do all the financial lifting for the house and I just helped where I could but now I have like a wage that is almost as much as hers so like, yeah you know, man yeah that, it's a couple. that's yeah. good though because this part I mean it's it's a it's all good partnership too you know you kind of yeah. like you lift each other when one's down one's up and then when you guys finally yeah. get to the same then you guys keep it moving but that's good that you have that support because I think yeah. that support network helps especially when you're really trying to um do something that's more fulfilling and yeah. and it also lets better for your mental health too because it's like then mm. then you're you're not like you said not like uh <laughs> not hating yourself every day when you go to job or anything like that and so I still hate myself every day but yeah it's just a little bit easier <laughs> it was it's hard it's like, like yeah. shifted <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean like the, the last 10 years almost have been you know like now i'm reaping the benefits of it but you know there was things like we just talked about where i was lying on my, ba- my back staring at the ceiling like you know it's like you're going to have to be prepared for those times where it is really shit and yeah even as a junior developer like once you put your foot in the door you like you said you're just starting so i mean like you know you know Raf now is at a point in his career where he's really kicking off but he's put in like 15 years of work like to get to that point so I mean like people think that happens overnight but he's really made some sacrifices to get where he is and uh uh, and I yeah. think that's the that's the one thing where it's like when I talk to younger artists or designers or um, just mm-hmm. even creators in general or like dancers, mm-hmm. like one of the things I always kind of remind me is like it's a it's a long journey, man. Like it's not like it's like even if you get super popular really quick or something happens where you might be able to get, you know, um, a big name right when you start, you're still yeah. got the rest of your life to keep going. <laughs> yeah, so you're yeah, always yeah. consistently learning, you're, you're meeting new people, you're, you know, developing mm-hmm. new skills. And then also as yeah. then you start to sharpen those skills, too, because, again, you know, you're good at um, uh, podcasting and public speaking all that mm-hmm. so as you start to develop in your career you'll night you'll start to get those gigs to like speak to other younger artists or like that yeah. and like you know so it's that that'll come later on you'll like you're you're now your art skills is, is coming up to your uh your talking skills mm-hmm. I'm, <laughs> i mean so. i'm doing that just now like i mean it's funny that, that you talking to you in this podcast but this is like my third interview this month nice but i spoke to other people and i've been the person getting interviewed and then <laughs> over the last two years i've also been going to play universities and doing public speaking so I've spoke, spoke to kids about like mentorship access and traveling yeah. and laugh and the podcast and yeah, now I've got a job like it definitely solidifies it so like there's people now I have in my discord who I'm mentoring like once a month and I'm helping them like with a portfolio and like feedback oh. and stuff so like yeah I'm getting to that stage now where I'm starting to get back also like on a level like a like a lower level right so the yeah, people, I'm, yeah. Like, people I'm mentoring are like people who are like fresh out of university like yeah, just yeah. started yeah so, man um, I think yeah. that's a that's a good way to look at it too because a lot of times people always feel like to be a mentor you have to be like uh you know 10 years in the game or 20 years right. but a lot of times there's, you, you always forget that there's someone that was like you just a year ago and like yeah, you yeah. have something of value to give to them and like yep. you know someone in, and then down going all down the road so i think mm-hmm. like 
understanding that aspect and always like being a little bit more open to helping people being open, mm-hmm. just reminding yourself that you're like, Oh yeah, I used to be like that guy that just came out of uni. So let me, let yeah. me pull back and like, yo, this is what helped me. These are the things that helped me and those types of stuff. So I think that yeah. ongoing mentorship and like um, improvement will always, and it keeps you humble too. Cause I think even, yeah. even for me, when I was teaching a lot of dance um, mm. by teaching other people, it reminded me. So when people taught me, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so I was like, all right, let me not get frustrated. Let me not get mm. like, you know what? Like, how would I, how would I want to be taught if I, if I had myself as a teacher and that's exactly. kind of like how I look at it. And then I yeah. always try to make sure that they learn faster than I did, but then also yeah. retain it more. And then it's cool. Cause when I see them like years later or something like that, they're like, Oh man, you taught me this and you said this and it really affected my life. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I probably did say that. <laughs> I dude, talk it's a lot. <laughs> it's like I, I had I had a dude last year who emailed me, and he was in Australia, and he was talking to me about how he just turned thirty, and he was leaving his job to go back to art school because of my journey. And I was like, <laughs> "What the fuck, man?" That was I think I told you about that when I was I was on a flight from Chicago to LAX, and I was ordering a drink on the plane, and the dude next to me was like, "Yo, you're Gordon Neal, right?" And I was like. <laughs> What the fuck? Yes. He's like, oh, dude, like, I love your podcast. He was going to Linkbox, but I was still, like, floored. I was like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, you forget sometimes, man. I think think that's, um, like, I had the same experience when... um, I, I would, you know, my podcast, The Table of Truth, we've done it for a number of years. And then, you mm-hmm. know, it was, you know, it's, it's a silly thing. We have a lot of fun mm-hmm. with it. And um, mm-hmm. I was interviewing at WWE, the wrestling mm-hmm. network. And mm-hmm. when I was talking, the guy that was interviewing me, he was a VP. And he was like, mm-hmm. all right, before we start, do you do a podcast called The Table of Truth? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, weird story. So my wife, a friend, sent me, mm-hmm. a, sent her an episode to, hey, you might want to listen to this. It's pretty funny. Sent it to me. And I've been listening to you guys the whole COVID. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he was like, you guys are hilarious. Like, wow. <laughs> and again, we get, I forget that, you know, we just put these things out. We do it for ourselves. And, you know, our yeah. intention is more to have fun maybe to be informative, but it also is for us too, just because like we're, we like creating, we want to like just have that platform. And then like, yeah. sometimes you forget, like when people listen and they're like, dude, that was good, man. They, they really yeah. gave something of value or something to that effect. So it, it is cool when that happens. Cause that's, those yeah. are those funny moments where you're like, yeah, maybe I sh- maybe we should still keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. But the people that were coming up to like Raph's table even, and like recognizing my voice and I was like, like like, what the fuck like it it just it just yeah and like the the kid especially like he even just he recently just emailed me again and he was like dude i've just finished my first year here's some of the stuff i've been doing and i was like you're like you're like a parent right you're like oh my god like i'm so proud of you like wow yeah man so good dude so good nah i think um i think that that this overall theme is like you know being that being in the humble um, mm-hmm. really like uh, responding for that mentorship and remembering like where we came from and then helping others. I mean, and also just like, you know, we're always constantly learning, you know, we're, we're constantly getting better. I should hope, I hope I never stop learning. I think that's when I'm, if I, that, if that happens and I'm ready to die, just Lord take yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, Gio, thank you for coming on to the pod. It was so much, so much fun having you. First white guy on the pod. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, man. Thanks. So thanks a lot. Yeah, it's been a great pleasure, man. I've really enjoyed this. And uh, even just to get to catch up, right? Because we haven't yeah. spoken properly in like 
what's that now? Nearly three years. Yep, still probably three years. Damn COVID. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm planning. I'm planning to try and get out to Lightbox next year. That's yeah. my, my goal. So, I want to. I want to do. I, I really enjoyed Lightbox. Is probably one of my favorite um, events I've attended in the last like five years. It was so much yeah, it was fun. Good. It was, it was like, really good. Just not, It was uh, so Lightbox is a concept art based, uh, almost a con, <laughs> but it was basically like a huge artist alley, and everyone yeah. there is artists. Is like mm-hmm. it was less casuals, more artists, and everyone just having yeah. a great time swapping books yep. and talking to mm-hmm. people, and just it's a good networking thing. And it was mm-hmm. one of my favorite events I've been to, so it was dope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And if you get out to, to Scotland as well, you've got a, a free bed and board waiting for you as well. And so. I'm going to get some some Scottish ale. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Some haggis. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks, man. I'd like to thank our guest, Gordon G. O'Neill, for his wonderful stories about his journey. You can find more of him on Instagram at Gordy Makes Art. You can also listen to his podcast, Digital Artcast, at wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks once again, and see you guys next time. My Friends Are Fresh is a Mookie production, produced, recorded, edited by Cameron T. Moore, beats by Prometheus Jackson. You can learn more at myfriendsarefresh.com. You can hear more beats on Instagram at Prometheus Jackson.